Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to be looking at verses 10 and 11. Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. This is the reading of God's word. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most quoted passages in all of scripture. We see it on cards, on bumper stickers. We see it floating around on social media. It's a verse we give to our friends who are grieving. And it's a feel-good verse for sure, but it's very rarely understood correctly, and it's almost never presented with the verses around it. And part of the reason for this is because the verses around it are all pretty depressing. And to give you a little context into the book, the book of Jeremiah is basically addressing Jews who are exiled in Babylon as punishment for their sin and disobedience. And like many of the books in the Bible, Jeremiah kind of comes face to face with human suffering with disasters that turn life upside down and shake the world in unspeakable ways. And the questions that are constantly being asked throughout this book are, is there hope for the future? How long will this exile last? When this exile is over, is life gonna be the same or is it gonna be different? In many ways, it's very similar to the questions all of us are asking today. And one of the things you realize as you read through this book is that these questions never have simple answers. There's no like disaster roadmap or toolkit we can just pull up anytime we experience suffering in this life. And what we see in chapter 28 in the chapter right before you get to this popular verse is that you have this false prophet Hananiah who's been going around to all the Jews saying things like, you know what, this exile is not a big deal. It's gonna be over in two years life is going to be back to normal before you know it. And immediately Jeremiah calls out that lie for what it is. He turns to the Israelites and he says, yeah, you probably shouldn't listen to that guy because it's going to be a lot longer than two years. In fact, it's going to be 70 years in Babylon, which means that for most of you, life is never going back to normal. And I know for a lot of us tuning in, it's hard for us to stomach that because for a lot of us, hearing that just hits us a little too close to home. You know, you might be thinking, man, I tuned in today on Easter Sunday because I thought I was going to get a message of hope and you're giving me exactly what I'm seeing in the news every day, that maybe there won't be a return to normalcy. Maybe this uh, pandemic is going to go a lot longer than we thought. Maybe things are going to get worse before they get better. And we don't like hearing that kind of news and the Israelites didn't like it either. In fact, they wanted to kill Jeremiah because they couldn't accept the reality that this could be their fate. What they wanted was someone to tell them that their suffering was gonna end and that it was gonna end quickly. But this is not what God says. In Jeremiah 29.5, God says this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. In other words, get comfortable because you're going to be here for a while. And I think often when we think about the resurrection, 
we think that it's our hope to escape suffering. That somehow because Jesus rose from the dead, that that means that our lives will be completely without hardship, difficulty, anxiety, or fear. But this is why I love the Bible. It's so honest. Because even in the New Testament, on Easter Sunday, if we look at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, okay, the scene opens on Easter Sunday with this grand announcement that the tomb is empty, that Christ has risen. And then literally just a few verses later, you have this strange random story of two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, but they're not happy. It says they're downcast, they're depressed, they're fearful. And this is what they're saying. They're saying, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Notice the past tense there, we had hoped, meaning all the hope they once had was gone. Now, do you see what's happening here? On the very same day that the world changed forever, you have this story about two Jesus followers who were not rejoicing, who were not celebrating, they were mourning. And it's in the midst of their mourning that the resurrected Christ shows up on that road right beside them, goes into their home, and this is what he does. In verse 30, he says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Right in the middle of their pain and unbelief, Jesus feeds them. He feeds them. And in that sense, the resurrection is not our hope to escape suffering in this life. It is our hope in the midst of it. And it's precisely because Jesus showed up in the midst of their suffering that finally these disciples were able to grasp the significance of the resurrection. Because right after Jesus feeds them, it says this, they returned at once to Jerusalem proclaiming, it is true, the Lord has risen. You know, I think this season has been an unveiling for all of us as we've been stripped of all the things that once gave us a sense of security and joy. I mean, think about it. Sports, canceled. Stadiums, shut down. Theaters and restaurants, closed. The economy, decimated. Every altar we've ever worshipped at has been taken away from us. And I think all of us are saying things like, we had hoped our leaders would save us. We had hoped our money would save us. We had hoped technology would save us. But all of it has been laid bare and exposed by the power of this disease. And I think for the first time in a very long time, we're all collectively realizing that none of these things can deliver on their promises. And we, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, are asking, where do we go from here? What do we do now? But I think it's precisely in these moments when we feel like we have nothing left to lean on that the resurrected Christ shows up right beside us and tells us there is hope because I have risen from the dead, because I have conquered the grave. You know, one of my favorite live performances of all time was Nirvana's acoustic set on MTV's Unplugged in New York. 
And for those of you who are older, you probably remember watching this on TV. And this was back when MTV actually played music. But the story behind the set is that Kurt Cobain actually didn't want to do the set because Nirvana was this grunge rock band that had built their sound on heavy distorted guitars on that big wall of sound and they didn't think their sound could translate to a stripped down acoustic set. Well, believe it or not, that performance is now seen as a career defining moment for Nirvana. And everyone who was in attendance that night said they'd witnessed something special. And when they were asked about it, they said it was because the band had nothing left to rely on except the songs themselves. That it was when they were stripped of their security blanket, of everything that they had built their sound on, that you could finally fully experience the raw power and honesty in their music. And in that sense, I believe that it is in moments like these when we're completely stripped of all sense of security, that we can finally begin to see the raw power of resurrection hope. Our hope is not in our financial security. Our hope is not in our physical ability. Our hope is not in our emotional stability. All of these things are standing on shaky ground right now. Our hope is in the living God who didn't stay in the grave, but rose again three days later. And I think when we understand this, the words in Jeremiah 29 verses 10 and 11 start to take on new shape for us. And I love the way the message translates these verses and it says it like this, as soon as Babylon 70 years are up and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you not abandon you, plans to give you the future you hope for. And what does that mean, I'll bring you back home? Because it certainly doesn't mean the home from which they were displaced because most of these Israelites were never going to be able to see their earthly home again. But what God is saying is, there's a home that all of you are really longing for. And it's the place that you are fully known and fully loved by the only one who matters. And if you trust me, that's where I'm gonna take you. You know, this past week, I just introduced my daughter to the movie Wizard of Oz. And when I was younger, I used to think that movie was about Dorothy beating the witch. I thought that was the whole point of the movie. But as I watched it this past week, I realized that the point of the movie is not Dorothy beating the witch. The point of the movie is Dorothy getting back home to the place she is fully known and fully loved. And as hard as it is to believe, our greatest battle today is not with COVID-19. What we really want, what all of us are really longing for is home. And it's not our earthly home because I'm sure we could probably use some time outside of our earthly homes now. What we really are longing for is our heavenly home. And Revelation 21 talks about it as a place where God will dwell with his people. It says in verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Friends, this is the good news of Easter Sunday. That even when it feels like death is all around us, God says to us, I know what I'm doing. I will not abandon you. And I will take you home. Let's pray. Gracious God, we rejoice this morning in the hope of the resurrection. The only hope we have in this life that isn't fleeting or temporary. And we thank you for your great plan of salvation for us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, which paved the way for us to have new life with you. We ask that you renew our hearts, our minds, and our lives for the days ahead. We praise you and give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' victorious name we pray. Amen.